You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. everybody and welcome back to the Testudo Times podcast. I am your host Dylan Spilko along with just Sam Ashi today. Lauren couldn't make it. She has some scheduling issues going on so we decided to record a little earlier today. So we got to talk about Maryland football Sam and things haven't necessarily been going the way head coach Mike Loxley planned it. Maryland started off four and three. I mean not didn't start off four and three. They started off four and oh. It was their best start since 2016 and all of a sudden they have three straight losses with the latest one coming to Minnesota on last Saturday in the form of a 34-16 to 16 loss. What are your initial takeaways from that game, just from watching that game and covering it? Yeah, so first, I mean, they've obviously hit a rough patch, three straight losses, like you said, but two of those have come against two of the best teams in the country in Iowa and Ohio State. Last week, coming off a of bye week, two weeks to prepare, that was more of an embarrassing loss because that's a Minnesota team that isn't ranked. They've struggled this year. I mean, they're a good team. They're better than Maryland, don't get me wrong. And it was on the road. They've struggled this year, and Maryland had two weeks to prepare, and they just did not execute on any level. Minnesota ran down their throats the entire game. I mean, they just did 56 carries for 326 rushing yards. That's the most rushing yards Minnesota had all season, has had all season. And they just dominated Maryland on the ground, which allowed them to control time possession. So Maryland didn't even have a ton of possessions to work with. So that, that was an embarrassing loss. And honestly, they've hit a rough patch. I mean, Loxley joked about this week, like it's Halloween this week. He says he doesn't know he's going to open the door for anyone because they're on a three-game losing streak, which is a little funny. But it's, it might be true because Maryland fans are not happy right now. But they do have a decent opportunity this um, Saturday against, against an Indiana team that hasn't beat anyone in the Big Ten yet. Right. And now Maryland is 0-3 on the road, 0-3 in their last three games, obviously. Going to face a 2-5 and Indiana team that's also on a three-game losing streak. But first, you know, let's go over some aspects of this Maryland game. And some of my initial takeaways were, you know, the first thing that when you're watching this game is just you couldn't really envision Maryland coming away with the win just by the way that the game started out with Talia Tungavailoa fumbling the ball on the first possession of the game. All of a sudden, you know, if they come out with a good offensive drive on that first start of the game, maybe the game is a little different. But at the end of the day, Maryland just flat out got beaten that game by what we thought was a more on-par team talent-wise that was closer to Maryland initially. However, I mean, the rushing attack for Minnesota, obviously, leaps and bounds ahead of whatever Maryland was able to put up defensively. Uh, let's just start with the offensive end, though. Talia, 17 for 27, 189 yards, one meaningless touchdown late. You know, and we went to media on Tuesday, and Loxley was praising him. Loxley was like, I thought our quarterback was one of the best players on the field. I thought he was playing well. And then Talia came on about 45 minutes later and said, you know, I didn't play good enough. I wasn't good enough on the field. I didn't perform the way that I needed to play. I was inaccurate. I was missing throws. And I think I'm leaning more towards Talia's side of that. You know, I mean, you got to look at all the weapons that Tungavaloa has, and obviously there's not many. But to be the starting quarterback and to finish with – and obviously there were a bunch of drop passes that goes along with the 10 incompletions that he had. But to finish with just 189 yards when you're down for most of the game, you know, I mean, I just don't think that it was good enough, despite him not having any interceptions. I mean, what, what do you think about his overall performance? Because personally, I didn't think that he – 
even with the, the people around him not playing well enough, he also didn't perform to the level that Maryland needed him to. Yeah, well, I don't take too much stock into what anyone says on that podium there. I know, I know you don't either, but Loxley did what he should do, which was defend his quarterback. And Talia likes to hold himself accountable, even when he's great. Like even earlier in the year when he was playing great football, he likes to hold himself accountable. So I expected those answers from both of them. I agree with you to an extent that Talia misses some th- missed some throws, and he hasn't been the superstar that he was through the four, first four games, which, again, was against worse competition and only one Big Ten team in there in Illinois. Um, but I do think he was better than that Iowa loss. When we look at, like, that horrible performance against Iowa, five picks, he has he was better, not great against Ohio State, but better against, again, a really good Ohio State team. And then against Minnesota, I think he did a good job with just decision-making, which is the biggest thing for him. I mean, he, he hasn't made, like, explosive plays with his legs or with his arm, but I think that's also a product of his a few of his weapons and his number one receiver in Dante Demas isn't there. The offensive line hasn't been great the last couple of weeks. And then uh, Jashawn Jones, who's their number three receiver, he's also out for the year. So I think that that's all a product like that. He's trying to adjust to not having his top weapons. But I do think like 17 for 27, like Loxley said it, and it was true that five of those passes were drops. So that wasn't so much on him, but I do agree. Like he's not winning them games right now. Like he's, you're kind of look for him to keep him, keep him out of game or keep him in games, but not so much. Like he's not going to make the big plays that he was earlier in the year. So I don't think it was a bad performance necessarily, but if this offense is going to explode and keep up with certain other offenses, in the Big Ten, he needs to be that superstar that's that's making the big plays, and he hasn't been. Yeah, I don't know, and I don't know if he will be in the remaining games of the season. I just don't see it really happening. I mean, the decision-making is just is something that we've gone over for a lot of the season, but then again, it's just one aspect of his game. And you're right, I don't think he's using his legs enough. I don't think that he's making some of the throws that he made earlier in the season. That Definitely the explosive plays have absolutely disappeared from this team we haven't I can't even remember the last but Dylan do you think that's more of a product of like that's him playing worse or like because he has a great arm I mean he is a cannon of an arm right so do you think that's just the deep plays aren't there because of the lack of time he has in the pocket due to his offensive line and then also his receiver is Dante Demas which was this big play guy isn't there do you think that's more him or just the product of of what he's received last Uh, I think it's just like like a crazy accumulation of everything on the offense that has been going wrong I mean the offensive line even you just mentioned I mean they were great earlier in the year and now every time that Maryland snaps the ball it seems that Talia is on the run so it has to do with protection it has to do with what options he has remaining and 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 I will say that I do think it has to do more with the weapons that he has surrounding him because there's just not – t- I mean, Maryland, early in the season, we were talking about, oh, the wide receiver group, one of the most uh, – the deep parts of this team, talented parts, but then you subtract Jayshon Jones and Dante Dimas from the equation, and all of a sudden you have one of the, the thinnest parts of this team. So I think it has to do a lot with what Talia was – I mean, he wasn't able to get the job done, but at the same time you just look at his weapons and you say, how could he get the job done? And if you look at just about every other part of this offense, I mean – the running backs didn't have a good game. The tight ends were borderline invisible. And the wide receivers had a bunch of key critical drops that probably could have pushed Maryland a little further down the field. So if you just look at it from a supporting cast standpoint, I don't think that Talia had enough. And while I, we would like to see him play a little better for Maryland, I think that there's blame to go just about on every single part of this offense. 
Yeah, and then the last thing which we haven't really addressed yet is like the lack of running game really hasn't been there. I mean, Tanfley Davis has been number one back clearly, and he had a good start to the season, but he's just not a guy who's gonna you can look to on first down. He's gonna pick up four or five yards consistently. I mean, he just has he's a good pass catcher and he's solid, but they really haven't been able to get the running game go game going, and that puts even more pressure on Talia. Makes his job even harder. That's something that confused me as well during the Minnesota game. Only one catch for the entire running back group in that game, especially when we expected. I mean, I wrote something earlier before that week about how the running backs and the tight ends need to step up at the passing game. And they didn't. They actually did the exact opposite. They were pretty much invisible in the passing game. I think it was just Chalen uh, Famatao who just had one catch for negative two yards. I mean, I think Tayon Flea Davis had a, a big stretch where he had two-plus catches a game dating back all the way to the beginning of the season or something like that. And for him to not come away with one catch in a game where you're playing against the second-best rush defense in the Big Ten and you know you're not going to have an easy time moving ball on the ground, I think that, you know, you got to point towards the play calling. You got to point towards the quarterback not looking at his options. I mean, there's so many things that didn't go right for Maryland against Minnesota, but I think that the inability to get some of these backs the ball out of the backfield in the passing game, because you know, I mean, we knew that Minnesota's rushing defense was great. I mean, they were there. I mean, behind Wisconsin, who has a crazy rush defense of like 60 something yards allowed per game, but it's, it was like a not-so-secret narrative that Minnesota's rushing game on offense and rushing game on defense were the team's two biggest strengths. And it seemed that Maryland did as little as it could to avoid those. And that's, and that's when Loxley said, and, and he's right, where it's like you had two weeks of prepare. I mean, you're coming off the bye, too. And to not address that properly and not be prepared for that, even if like their strengths might be better than your weaknesses, so there's not a lot you can do from a talent perspective. But even though, like you said, it like, you, you, you need to be prepared for that. And for them not to be prepared for that with two weeks off and execute like that, I mean, that's, that's a problem. And, and that, that's the rushing defense that, that's gotten them. And then looking at the, the wide receiver group, Rakim Jarrett, who presumably is the number one wide receiver now, easily the most talented out of the entire group, four catches for 56 yards. And then the number two guy who actually had the most yards out of any Maryland wide receiver or pass catcher, Marcus Fleming. Five catches for 62 yards, one touchdown. He had a, a big gain of 40-plus yards. Is he kind of rising as that number two guy in, yeah, in I mean, the Maryland wide receiver group? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're looking for someone. I mean, it could have been him. It could have been Brian Cobbs. I mean, you never knew who it could have been. And Marcus Fleming has been – seems like Talia's comfortable throwing him the ball. He's made some nice plays. So, I mean, when Rakim's getting more of that attention and it's more difficult for him to just make explosive plays and get open – because he was that number two guy behind Dante, what the defenses were looking at. Um, so, I mean, Rakim's really talented, but he hasn't been able to be that number one guy when he's receiving more attention. And maybe Talia doesn't feel comfortable throwing into harder coverage like that. But for but Marcus Fleming has become a guy. He's talented. I mean, he's been there for a couple of years. And he's just he's clearly maybe more of a security blanket that Talia can rely on than some other guys, along with Chig. I mean, obviously, he's a tight end. But that's, that seems a guy that Talia is comfortable with, too. But I think he's Talia is still more than halfway through the season with the injuries that have happened. He's still trying to test out, all right, who are these wide receivers? A play breaks down. Who do I feel comfortable throwing with? Who do I have good repertoire with? I mean, he's still trying to figure that out, as, is, as, as viewers and people covering the team. We're still trying to, too. Yeah, and it's something about, I don't know, it's something about the explosiveness, the lack of explosiveness of this offense is really getting to me. 
because just watching that game early in the season, I mean, Maryland was taking shots in the first quarter, second quarter, just had, you know, every drive, there was probably a shot taken. And then you look at this Minnesota game, it's almost like they played right into the hands of what Minnesota was trying to do. And then they waited until the second half to finally start taking some deep shots when you're down. I mean, it's just not winning football, playing into exactly what the defense wanted you to play into. And you look at Fleming, he had a long catch of 43 yards. Rockham Jarrett had a long catch of 38 yards. But, I mean, there's got to be more than that. There needs to be more explosive plays for this Maryland offense because we saw earlier in the season when Maryland's able to expand this offense, it, it's obviously it's going to become a lot better. But, I mean, the Terps just haven't been able to do that. Yeah, and then the other thing is, like, when they do have to make – I mean, Talia didn't throw any interceptions against Minnesota, but when they do have to make those explosive plays and Talia has to do more, that's, I think, when the Maryland staff and offensive staff is worried about, all right, he's more prone to turnovers and trying to do something and make a big play. So maybe that's why they're limiting the offensive plays. I think it's also a personnel thing. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons, but, like, to, to against the – which we're going to talk about in a minute, against the good Indiana – uh, defense they're going to have to explode even more yeah and then you know besides the running backs and the wide receivers the tight ends I mean they were they were projecting really well I think Chig had uh, like 40 plus yards over the last two games he had like 145 yards over the last three games before this one and then he comes out with a two catch 30 yard uh, pretty pretty poor performance and then Corey Deitches who's been a good number two tight end on this team he went catchless. So just a bunch of just so many different areas of this team, especially on offense, that's just hasn't been clicking since Jay Sean Jones and Dante Demas have gone out. I mean, is there a way for this passing offense to bounce back? I mean, just how worried are you about this offense in general? I mean, I'm worried. Like there's, I think everyone watching is worried. There's, there's no question. Like, they just haven't been as explosive as they should be. Regardless of the competition, I'm not comparing to the first four weeks when they were playing lesser opponents. Just mm -hmm. in general, I mean, this was supposed to be a great offense because of the weapons they've had and because of a good quarterback that people expected to take another leap in year two. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's certainly reason to be worried. It's certainly a pass-heavy offense because of the lack of running game that we talked about. So when you rely on that passing game and that's not even producing as much, I mean, there's certainly reason to be worried. I think um, Indiana might be, a, even though it's a good defense, their worst team, probably the worst team that they're going to face all year in the Big Ten. Maybe Illinois is the other one that they beat. But after this, I mean, they have a brutal stretch with Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan. So if that pass offense is, is and that offense in general is going to get going at all in any week, I think this, this will have to be the week. And it'll be telling to see if they can or else. I think they're going to remain stale and, and um, remain pretty stagnant for the rest of the season. It has 100% come down to like a now or never type situation for Maryland. You start off 4-0, all, all is good with the team, and then you drop three straight, like I wouldn't call Minnesota a blowout, but three straight very disappointing losses in which you know, just Maryland just didn't get the job done over three consecutive weeks. And now – you have now you're looking at the schedule and you said it you got three ranked teams that are coming up I mean one of them is Penn State that just had that horrible horrible nine overtime loss to Illinois I was watching the end of that one flip-flopping between the Maryland game that was a that was a fun one it was a crazy I hate that that rule in overtime with the uh the two-point conversion going back and forth. college football overtime is the worst makes no sense but, I'm in football yeah I know but it, it, at that point I just wanted the game to end but exactly. 
but, but I mean, obviously Penn State losing to an Illinois team is big that Maryland has beaten earlier in the season. But those three offenses, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, they're all ranked in the top half of the Big Ten in overall offensive yardage, passing offense, uh, rushing offense, you know, you name it. It's going to be a tough matchup for Maryland moving forward. And, and, and on the defensive side of the ball, those teams are fairly strong as well. And, I mean, they're well-rounded teams. And if you look at the schedule, there's really only two games that Maryland has a, a very realistic shot of winning, and that's this Indiana game. And then the Rutgers game at the end of the season to try to get to that six-win benchmark. But, you know, I think the question becomes, and this question I was just thinking of before, I mean, will this offense break 24 points again this season in a single game? I think that, like, maybe. I don't, I don't think so. The way that we've seen – we just saw them playing against Minnesota, who had a fairly bad pass defense, but a good rush defense. I mean, Maryland just didn't do enough to score any points and they scored one meaningless touchdown late. But besides that, there wasn't much going on. So I don't know if playing these, these better teams, they can score like 24, 30 points again. I just don't think it's realistic with the weapons they have now. You should hope they, they can score at least 24 if they want to win more, one more game this yeah. season against an Indiana team that's really struggling on offense, the worst in the big 10 actually. But I mean, this is, this is as we just get into this Indiana game. I mean, it's a must win. Like there, there's no more important game on their schedule as of, so far than this Indiana game, their expectation going to the year, maybe, maybe it was all over people, but like it would have been a successful season if they can get to that six win benchmark and get a bowl game. That's still on the table, but it's, there's virtually no chance they can do that unless they beat Indiana this week. So it really comes down to that. So they if they can beat Indiana this week, they'll be at five wins. They need one more to get to that six win benchmark and finish season six and six. They, unless there's some miraculous upset, which happens, it happened with Illinois and Illinois and Penn State last week. So it certainly happens in college football and in the Big Ten. No one has any expectation they're going to beat Michigan State, Michigan, or Penn State. So then, if they can get to that um, beat Indiana this weekend, they can go to that last game of the year at that five and whatever they're going to be five and six, I guess they would be, and try to win that last game against Rutgers, and that would be the, the determinant if they get to that six-win benchmark, and can um, be bowl eligible. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it certainly cert comes down to this week against Indiana. If they don't, it feels like it's a lost season, the season's over, and they might they might start 4-0 and, and lose out, which would be pretty embarrassing considering the expectation coming into the year and the expectation after they were 4-0. So who knows, who knows what's going to happen, but this is certainly a must-win against Indiana. At yeah. home, and it's homecoming. And, and homecoming. Can't forget about the homecoming. But we no, know no. that coming into this season, just the expectations of not I, – I wouldn't say the expectations were like a top finish in the Big Ten. I think the expectations were more like, let's compete. Let's compete with the some of the big boys in the Big Ten. And that's exactly what hasn't happened this year. It's been quite the opposite, actually. Yeah, and, you look, real quick, you just look to like see improvement from year to year. Last year was obviously – it was Loxley's second year. Some people call it like a half of the year. Yeah. And it was COVID, and I, and I get throwing that year out the window. But they won two uh, games in the Big Ten last year. I mean, if they can't match that at least this year, I mean, that's, that's – where's the improvement from, from year to year? So you're really looking for that improvement in the Big Ten. And so this, this, this season, you want to make that jump, but we'll see. And so just – and then we haven't even looked at the defense yet after this Minnesota game. I mean, what more could you say about Minnesota's rushing offense? 56 rushes, 326 yards, 
good enough for 5.8 yards per carry. Four different rushing touchdown scores. At the end of the day, we already talked about this, you're coming into the game preparing for Minnesota to have a heavy rush attack. They come out with a heavy rush attack, and they execute almost perfectly in P.J. Flex offense. I mean, who's, who's more to blame here? Is it the players? Is it the coaches? Because uh, I'm leaning towards the overall preparation for the game. Yeah, I mean, the coach Loxley took the blame as the coaching staff. He said, I need to be more held, held more accountable. The entire team needs to be held more accountable. Everyone needs to look themselves in the mirror. It's just this defense is – they're a little banged up, but they're also just weak in certain points. I mean, we saw against Ohio State, Ja'Cory Bennett and Kenny Bennett were out. So they took – Ohio State's a pass-heavy offense, loves to throw the ball to C.J. Stroud, and they just took advantage completely of Maryland's depleted secondary, threw the ball all over them. Fast forward two weeks – Minnesota, they're a team that likes to pound the ball. They don't care. They'll line up extra offensive linemen, and they just like to run the ball and kill the clock. And that's exactly what they did, and they just exposed Maryland's rush defense. So Maryland has a lot of weak weaknesses all over the defensive side of the ball, and teams are just playing to their strengths and exposing them. And so, I mean, who's more, whose fault is it more? I mean, I, don't, I just don't think Maryland has the personnel from a rush defense perspective to keep up with teams that love to pound the rock and put extra, extra offensive line. Um, Loxley was, he was taking, saying like, he was, um, taking some blame saying the edge rushers is really the edge rushing. That was the problem. And we didn't properly prepare and add extra guys because they play three, four. So we didn't add extra guys to, to, to up front and maybe stop that. So, I mean, it, I think there's blame that needs to go all around, but teams are just exposing this defense, this defensive weaknesses all over. Right. And now Maryland after the loss. They now stand at four and three. Only five games left. Kind of crazy. Three game, three home games remaining, two road games. And now coming up, homecoming game, Indiana, Indiana match. Indiana's two and five. They've only lost to ranked teams this season. And it's kind of hard to blame them for their record. I mean, they played a lot of tough teams. They lost the number, then number 18, Iowa in the opener. They beat Idaho. They then lost to number eight Cincinnati. They beat Western Kentucky, lost to number four Penn State, lost to number 10 Michigan State, then lost to number five Ohio State. So, I mean, it's, it's similar to Maryland in which they're not, they haven't been able to compete with some of these, uh, these top teams. They were able to compete against Michigan State. They only lost by five. But, I mean, their last game against Ohio State, they lost 54 to seven. I wouldn't necessarily call that a close one. But, I mean, their, their offense has really struggled. They rank dead last in offense and yards per game. They're tied for last for total touchdowns, and they have a ton of concerns in the quarterback room. Michael Penix Jr. and Jack Tuttle are both hurt. Penix has been out since early October. I want to say October 2nd with an AC joint sprain. And Tuttle, he left last game against Ohio State, which left Don, true freshman Donovan McCauley, who went one for six against Ohio State. And initially when I was looking at Maryland uh, line, I think it's, what is it, four and a half? I think it's three and a half, four around. Three and a half, okay, around that field goal, just to, just beyond that range for the spread. And Maryland's favored. And a big reason as to why is because Loxley said during the presser, he expects number zero, freshman, true freshman Donovan McCauley to be the quarterback for Indiana. And we mentioned before about how Minnesota wanted to play to its strengths, and it did, and it went right to the ground game. And this Indiana offense, on the other hand, doesn't have many strengths. I mean, their offense, just in general, isn't the strong part of this team. 
So are we expecting just Indiana to come into this game saying, hey, here's what Minnesota did. We're going to try to emulate that same exact thing because I don't see why not. Yeah, I mean, they, they should. They, they, I don't, it would be really not smart of them to put the ball in their true freshman quarterback's hand, who's their third string. I mean, they didn't do that against Ohio State last week. They, they, they had no business um, putting the ball in his hands, and they, they knew not to. So I don't expect them to do that. And they look at the film from last week from Maryland, and they're like, this team pounded the ball all over. Like this team just ran the ball all over Maryland. They added extra linemen up front, and they just ran down their throats and killed the clock and killed time of possession. So I think that's Indiana's game plan. They don't have the rushing attack or the offensive line prowess that Minnesota has. So I don't know if they'll do it as successfully, but I do think that's, that's going to be their game plan. And it's, it's this Indiana offense is really bad. I mean, the worst in the Big Ten. A lot of that's because of the unknown quarterback situation that's been there all year and just starting a true freshman now. So I really expect this to be a slugfest. If there's any time, if there's any moment where this Maryland defense that struggled in the run, rush defense and the pass defense, if there's, any, if there's a time for this defense to start clicking and maybe gain some confidence back, this is going to be the week to do it against a really bad offense. If they can't stop Indiana's offense, then they're not going to stop anybody. So, yeah. so I mean, that, that, that's what I'm looking for is just how this defense responds to a really poor Indiana offense. And this Maryland defense is starting to get a little healthier. You got Brandon Jennings, who played a few snaps against Minnesota coming back. You had Ja'Korian Bennett, who I think he was the one that had that horrendous pass interference, defensive pass interference play at the beginning of the game, if you remember that one. But, yeah, I mean, this, and the defense is getting healthier, which is a good sign, obviously. Just injuries all around the roster. But, I mean, the defense was heavily affected. Kenny Bennett didn't play last game, I believe. And I think I, – I don't remember if Loxley mentioned him during the presser, but I think he's slowly getting on the mend as well. But obviously getting Brandon Jennings to full health is one of the biggest Maryland concerns on defense. But overall, just looking at Indiana, I think that we should expect another uh, heavy ground game for them. I think they're going to try to pound the ball against Maryland. I, I mean, if you just look at what Minnesota was able to do, I don't see why not you go for that as well. I think with, obviously, a true freshman – who went one for six against Ohio State in his short appearance is uh, not going to get to throw the ball more than 15, 16, 17 times during the game. And it's really just going to come down to whichever defense is able to really make stops and make turnovers. And you said it. I mean, if there's any game for Maryland's defense to bounce back, it's, it, needs, it doesn't have to be this one. It needs to be this one because they're not going to be stopping Michigan State's offense. They're going to have a tough time stopping Penn State. and Michigan's offense especially and then you have a Rutgers game which at the end of the day might not really matter if Maryland's going into that game with a four and seven record so it's just I mean it's truly now or never for this defense and if I had to predict if this is the game that Maryland gives up less than 30 points for the first time I would say I think so (laughs) I would say if they can't if they give up more than 30 points number one they're not winning the game and number two, this season's a lost cause. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, I mean, everything points to this defense having a bounce back game against one of the best defense, one of the worst offenses in the Big Ten, if not the worst offense in the Big Ten. But from what we've seen over the last three weeks, I mean, Maryland is just so beatable on defense from just about everywhere. If you run the ball, Maryland has a tough time tackling. If you're throwing the ball, the secondary has definitely taken a step down over the course of the season. And penalties continue to be 
the, the raging conversation that we keep bringing up over and over and over again. And this, I, I don't have the exact penalty statistics on me right now, but I mean, this team is averaging like seven or eight penalties a game. And I would say a lot of them are just careless personal fouls. I can't recall how many times I've seen just pointless personal fouls called this season on guys and especially on Maryland's side. And it's just really put a dent in what they've been able to do. And you can talk about being disciplined as many times as you want, but at the end of the day, seven penalties per game is not a winning football team. And if you're going to do that against a team like Indiana, a team that you can beat and a team that doesn't, that is, isn't necessarily an elite team, you know, I mean, those are the, those, that's what usually makes the difference. So I think at the end of the day, um, Maryland needs this one. They need to be disciplined. Obviously, the defense needs to step up. And I think it's just about every single part of their game needs to step up overall. So I think that we can get into yeah. – oh, go ahead. You're great. But I have to look at the offense. Like, this is should be a bounce back – not a bounce back opportunity because I'm not saying Tilly has been bad. But I do think this is an opportunity for them to put up more points than they have. Shig had he had um, a couple catches last game. I think think two yeah two catches for thirty yards last game. I think they can get the tight ends more involved. Maybe this is an opportunity to to establish the run game early and then let Talia make plays and look for more explosive plays down the field, especially at home. So I I like all around. I mean, this is a good test and an even test for Maryland, and I think that's represented in the the spread. I mean, it's three and a half. I think we said it was. And that's pretty much, and that's because Maryland's, you get three points for being at home, you presume. So that's pretty much Vegas saying, this is an even matchup against two of the worst teams in the Big Ten. It's going to be a slugfest. Let's see who wins it. But, yeah. Yeah, I think I think now it's time for our predictions. And I, have, I haven't really given much thought to what I think this game is going to be. But from everything that we've seen so far, just by looking at how this defense responded, to their injuries just by looking at how this offense has responded to the the many injuries that they've suffered. I just don't know if they're going to be able to get the job done. I I just, it just smells like an upset game in college park, despite it being homecoming, despite once again, there being some level of hype surrounding this game for Maryland. It's a must. It's truly a must win game for them, whether they like to admit it or not. And I'm just entirely not sure, but all I know is that it's, it's got to be a low-scoring game, right? I mean, there's, there's everything's pointing towards that. So I think I'm going to go with, oh, God, 27-21. Um, I'll say Indiana. I just, I just can't see Maryland winning this game from everything that we've seen so far. And nothing, nothing over these last three weeks has convinced me that Maryland is truly capable of a full-on bounce back. I mean, they do have the players to do it. But at the end of the day, it's the product that you put out on the field. And what we've seen so far over these last three weeks is an injury-ridden defense and a pretty inefficient offense. So I think those two facets of this team combined are just going to – it just screams another letdown. That's just what I think. Yeah, I don't blame you for thinking that way. I really, It's really hard. I mean, I, I haven't put no thought into it, but it's a really hard game to predict. Um, I think they're very evenly matched teams, and I agree it's going to be low scoring. I, I don't like. I do think there is hype around this game in the sense that from the team, like Maryland understands this really is a must win. Like we want to end this three game losing streak. We don't want to move to five hundred for our bold hopes and the six game benchmark. We really want six win benchmark. We really need this game. 
And it also is homecoming. I don't know how much that plays into it. The 2001 ACC championship team will be honored. And Ralph Friedgen, the former coach here, he'll be honored. It's Loxley's friend he was talking about. I don't know how much that plays a role, in it, role with it, but alumni being back, maybe it does. I, I don't think Indiana is as bad as their record is. I mean, they haven't won a game in the Big Ten. Um, so it's, it's a hard game to predict. I think I'm going to be right there with you, Indiana, in an upset, 24 to 21, Indiana. But this, this could go either way. I really think it's going to be close and come down to, like, a field goal late. Yeah, I think it, so. All right, we're both on Indiana. Um, Maryland football, four and three, heading into their eighth game of the season, second to last home game. And we will get back to you guys next week with a recap of that. But first, you know, let's spend like 10 minutes or so talking about this Maryland men's basketball team, because that's a team that's projecting something exciting to talk something about. Exciting, something very exciting to talk about. Maryland men's basketball. The season is rapidly approaching. They have a November 5th exhibition against uh, Fayetteville State and the no- November 9th game, which is the 2021-22 season opener against Quinnipiac. That'll be in College Park. So Maryland coming into the season with a number 21 ranking from AP. Let's just talk about some things we're excited for. And I think it's just, just by looking at the roster, I mean, who's a player that you were coming into the season? Maryland, obviously, ton of expectations, two big transfers and a bunch of returning players. Just who are you most excited about to watch the season and to, to see how they perform? One player is really hard to pick. Um, I would say I'm really most excited. To, I think it's a really put, a well-put-together roster by Turgeon in the use of his recruits and guys who have been here for a few years and the transfer portal, portal. I mean, I'm excited to see just how this roster clicks together. Like, it might be weird to say, but I think Fats Russell I'm excited to see because he has been – had to be a scorer, and he's very capable of scoring at all, all three levels of the court at Rhode Island. But now he can step back and score when he needs to, but also be a distributor. And love he loves to push the ball, ball in transition. I think it's going to be a high – a fast, high-paced – scoring team that we really haven't seen in a couple of years from Maryland because they've had some stagnant offenses, particularly last year. So I'm excited to see Fats, see how he distributes the ball. Um, last year, his numbers dropped a little bit because of his, he was injured all year. He admitted to, he really didn't practice all year and he just was going into games blindly because, because of injuries that he had. So that's why his shooting numbers dipped and his scoring numbers overall dipped. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he can get those shooting numbers back to, to where they can be, where he can be a legitimate threat from uh, three-point range. But I, there's like Kudus Wahab, it's a tr- traditional center now, traditional point guard with Fats. And then Eric Ayala was just named to the all-Big uh, Ten preseason team, which not surprising that he made it, but I think it was a little surprised that he made it and Dante Scott didn't. Because I look at Dante Scott, and I think he's the best player on this team in terms of everything that he brings to the table. Great rebounder, three-level scorer, can back people down in the post, um, mid-post, hit up pull-up jumpers. He had a great three-point shooting percentage last year. And he can switch and defend multiple positions, whether it's the post he had to last year when he was playing out of position at center, or he can switch out into guards and, and guard them and run around with them on the perimeter for a little bit. So I think Dante Scott's the most complete player on this team and probably the overall best. I do think Eric Al is the best scorer on the team. Um, and then they're deep. I mean, they have James Graham and Julian Reese. James Graham isn't technically a freshman, but he's pretty much a freshman and, and Julian Reese um, is a, is a freshman. So they're, they're, they're going to be deep and it's going to be exciting to see how this roster gets put together, how they play. And I mean, we're a couple of weeks away from the season at this point. Should be a good one. 
And just looking at that backcourt, I mean, what Maryland was able to do last year, uh, what was their record, 17 and 14 last season. So, I mean, even with that backcourt with Ayala leading it, I mean, now if you add, when you add Fats Russell, Russell into the equation, it creates just such such a mix, a mismatch in, in that backcourt. Fats Russell at 5'11", more of a playmaker, and then Ayala more of a, a true kind of three-level score from just that anywhere on the court. I mean, he's, it's going to be just such a nightmare for whoever Maryland's playing. I mean, and then you look at the rest of the lineup, it's all filled out. You got Dante Scott, Gudis Wahab, and uh, Hakeem Hart taking a step up. And, you know, unpalpable palpable buzz that he's grown another six inches. So there's always I don't know if he's gro- how many inches he's grown, but we both can confirm he does look bigger. I mean, Purgeon said he looked added 15 pounds of muscle it's kind of hard to believe sometimes but like it's it's significant even when you're looking from afar that he's put on muscle and I, I think he's going to be my most exciting player to watch because he's immediately going to have to step into a huge role filling in a spot at the small forward position for Eric uh, for Eric for Aaron Wiggins so because he's off to the NBA obviously with the Oklahoma City Thunder and obviously we're all thinking about how good this Maryland team could have been if Wiggins stayed because that would have made Hakeem Hart a, a sixth man technically, and that would have been really unreal for this Maryland team. However, it is what it is. Maryland's still coming in with a really strong team, but I think Hakeem Hart has got to be that player that's going to be – Once I think he was a big X factor last year, and he's going to be in the same position this year. He's got to fill in for the production that Wiggins provided. And now Hakeem Hart listed at 6'8", 205. He's now a junior. I mean, he's got to take a big step forward. He's got to average or at least 13 points a game this year. If, if you think about it, he's got to just fill in that production. And I think he's going to be a really fun player to watch. I think with, you, him, the other, yeah. with him, real quick, the other thing is it's also like he's changed his shot. Like he's, he's was coming in as like a known three-point shooter. He was a little bit streaky. He has been in his first two years here. Um, he's really changed the mechanic, mechanical adjustments with his shot. I mean, he's not like pushing the ball as much. It's more fluid follow-through and release. So, I mean, we'll see if that translates to the game. But that's encouraging too. Yeah, that's actually what I was just about to mention is his, his shooting is definitely going to have to take a step forward. He, does, he did have that weird kind of release uh, last year, and it's, it has been improving noticeably, and his three-point game especially was much better last year. So he's obviously going to have to take a step forward for this Maryland team. And then obviously the Big Ten, such a talented conference once again. You got Michigan, Purdue, Illinois, Ohio State all ranked ahead of Maryland. So once again, it's going to be a tough season for the Terrapids in conference play. But, you know, we love our predictions, so let's just make a way too early prediction because why that why not? So if you had to if you had to guess right now, if you're looking in March and or if Maryland makes it to early April, you know, what is kind of the floor for this Maryland team and what's the ceiling? Because the ceiling for them, I think that it's it's a top ten team. I think this team could if let's say they start winning their games and they start with uh, I, they always start with some eight and zero, and then the the ranking always gets higher because they play the the bad non other non conference schedules. Yeah, it, it happens every year, so it's probably going to happen again. And the, I think that if they start beating some of the better Big Ten teams, maybe make an upset or two. I think their ceiling is around the seven or eight spot. I think that's what they could potentially go to if everything goes right. Then if everything goes poorly, I mean they're already just at the the tail end of the rankings. It wouldn't be shocking to see them fall out, but I think that there's a different vibe with this team so far, and I think that working towards 
uh, a third, fourth, or fifth seed is probably the goal for this team. I would say a, a four seed would be fitting for them. So I think at the end of the day, if you're just looking at the roster on paper, because we, we, I mean, we haven't even seen them play uh, a real team in person yet. But if you're just looking at it on paper, I think that a four seed is realistic. Yeah, I think that's probably what are exactly the prediction I would say if I had to guess. I mean, it's not even the end of October yet. And we're guessing what seed they're going to be in March. But if I did, if I did have to, we love our predictions. But if I did have to guess, I would probably be right there with you as a four seed in the tournament. I think their ceiling is a top 10 team in the country and probably top three team in the Big Ten. I think Purdue and Michigan are on a tier of their own and top of the Big Ten. I think that second tier in Maryland is right there with them with, with Ohio State, Illinois, and um, and Indiana I would put in there too. So I think it would. it's not – it's certainly plausible for Maryland to be a three seed in the Big Ten and a four seed in the tournament, top 10 or 12 team in the country. I think, I mean, the absolute floor is getting to the Big Ten tournament and winning a game. I mean, with, if you, if, when, you, when you put their expectations and you put them into perspective, last year was a significantly worse roster that exceeded expectations. People thought might not even make the tournament, but they did, and they won a game. So when you, when you look at that and put that as your base level for a floor, Maryland should certainly exceed their expectations or exceed their performance from last year. So the very floor is getting to the tournament, winning a big game. Like, is it crazy to say, like, I'm not going to predict this team's going to the final four by any means, but is it crazy to say that, that they could make uh, like as a four seed in the tournament, a dark horse, a little bit um, final four run. Like, I don't think that's that crazy given the depth of this team, the talent and how well this roster is put together. I'm not going to predict that, but I think that's certainly a ceiling too. Yeah. So a lot of expectations for this Maryland team just before the season. Season starts November 5th, again, in that exhibition game that I already mentioned, and then starts off November 9th. So it's really coming close. And it'll be Maryland football and Maryland men's and women's basketball all playing at the same time. It's a really exciting time for Maryland fans. And we're all looking forward to covering those games. So I think that'll do it for this edition of the Testudo Times podcast. Another Wednesday up and another Wednesday down. We'll be back next Wednesday talking about the Maryland game against Indiana. And we'll also be much closer to the men's and women's basketball season. I think we're going to try to preview that women's basketball season next week. But we will see and we will get back to you next Wednesday. So thank you so much for listening to this Testudo Times podcast. And we'll see you next week.